0: Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tenellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. It doesn't escape my attention listeners that i am indeed very fortunate to have the opportunity to receive and read so many wonderful australian fiction titles each month titles that i believe uncover the themes and issues that continue to reflect who we are as australians the way we live and the issues and concerns that occupy our minds concerns not only for our immediate circle of friends and families but wider society and joanna buckley's debut novel has most certainly done that in spades. Lily Harford's Last Request, published by HQ Fiction, is a book that makes us confront some of the big issues we face as a society today and the choices we are forced to make along the way. A thought-provoking, moving and brave novel that I absolutely loved and I know you will too. And so it is with such pleasure that I welcome Joanna to the podcast this morning. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Claudine, and thank you for such a lovely introduction. My absolute pleasure, and I wanted to say congratulations once more on this beautiful book. How are you feeling now that it's found its way onto bookshelves around the country?
1: Uh, Look, so many emotions. Delighted. I'm still in um, shock. You know, keep pinching myself. Just absolutely enjoying the ride and feeling very grateful that I did get published and yes, yeah, just it's just an incredible, as I'm sure any debut author you've interviewed would say exactly the same thing, um, it's just quite a wild ride and just really surreal. Yeah, I can only imagine. Joanna, I understand that this book was born out of some
0: deeply personal experiences and I wanted to ask you if you would mind giving us some insight into those experiences and what made you decide to write this book?
1: Yes, it is based on, you know, a family experience. When I was a teenager, my beautiful, beautiful grandfather, Harry, um, and I dedicate the book to to Harry and and my father, Noel, um, he had led a wonderful life. He'd been married for 65 years to my grandmother, Doris, and he started to lose his memory, though, in his late 80s. And as a teenager, I think... That didn't particularly resonate much with me. You know, at that age, you're still you're getting on with your life. You're fairly inner-focused, I guess. But there was a very confronting incident where I went to visit Grandpa in a nursing home that he had to go into because Granny couldn't, you know, continue to look after him. And there was my intelligent, wonderful, kind, gentle grandfather sitting in an armchair in this nursing home, and his, his wrists were strapped to the... Um, arms of this chair and that was really traumatizing and it was apparently because he got to the point where, you know, he would walk out of the nursing home and try and hail a taxi back to their house up in the Dandenongs, you know, he had no idea what was going on but it was a very, very sad scene. And from that day, my father and and grandpa then took another few years before dementia actually killed him. So the whole thing was very unpleasant. And my father, so his son, always said after that, I don't want to go the way of my father. If that ever happens to me, give me a pill. And it was sort of almost said um, over the decades, almost not as a joke but you know he would say it lightheartedly but obviously there was a determination behind that and dad actually joined uh, it was it's now called dying with dignity but back then it was called the voluntary euthanasia society and it was very clear to all of us that if dad went the way of of our grandfather he, he was serious he didn't he he wanted to be able to check out and then in his late 80s you know around the same age dad started to lose his memory And, you know, he was a very practical, optimistic, strong man, and he went into a nursing home also. He didn't want to be a burden to the family, no matter, you know, what we said. But as his memory got worse and worse um, leading up to that, he got more and more miserable and really started to say to us, look, I'm serious about (laughs) wanting to go. And look, he was 91. He'd been in the nursing home for, I think it was only about six or seven weeks, and he actually got pneumonia and passed away from that. But it was a very confronting time leading up to that because he was asking, I'm the youngest of five kids and he was asking all of us, you know, can you help me? I don't want to be here. I don't want to go the way of my father. So the reason I wrote on this topic was because, you know, it's a bit of therapy maybe and I really just wanted to highlight this issue because since the book's come out, so many people, I'm hearing stories of people who've got a family member who's in that situation that they've got dementia um, but the, even though there have been changes in legislation around Australia, they don't cover that. And so I just wanted it to be a topic that could be talked about, you know, around the dinner table or, um, you know, in book clubs or at work or whatever it is, uh, just to bring it out into the open more. And I suppose even though it's, it's a very individual choice what people want to do in terms of the end of, of their life, it is something I think that's important that it is, is chatted about within families. So with all of that in mind,
0: Joanna, for those who haven't read this beautiful book yet, can you tell us more about Lily Harford and her last request? Sure.
1: The book is set in a a fictional Queensland coastal town in the early 2000s. And um, it's essentially about the death and life of uh, an 86-year-old woman called Lily, who I've clearly modelled on my father in lots of ways, um, who's moved into a a nursing home, a local nursing home where she's been diagnosed with with dementia. So I I deliberately said death and life in that order because the story actually opens with a quite confronting scene in which Lily, you know, who's clearly made a pact with someone to kill her before dementia does, is being smothered. The reader is then able to take a breath and is taken back. Oh, that was a terrible uh, turn of phrase. But anyway, the reader is then taken back to 18 months earlier. And as the book you know, progresses and Lily's mind and body kind of deteriorate um, to help her cope with the present, she turns further and further into her past for, for comfort. And through these flashbacks, the layers of time kind of peeled back. And the reader can see those younger versions of of Lily and that, you know, that are still inside her and and the key moments in her life that have shaped her to be the woman she is, which is strong and independent and who now wants to equally take control of her death. The book actually also weaves, weaves the story of Lily and two other characters, though. So there's Lily and then there's her middle aged daughter, Pauline and a younger aged care nurse called Donna. So, you know, whilst it's scaffolded on that theme of assisted dying, the story is also very much about the kind of timeless challenges and and roles and inner lives of women and deals with topics from sexism to ageism to motherhood and that, that juggling act and relationships in their various forms. Going back to the
0: opening of this book, now that was quite a confronting scene one that really takes you directly into the story, which is just every writer's meant to be doing and a writer's dream in terms of, of how that scene played out. But was that always the way you envisaged opening this novel?
1: Yes. I. That was probably... That was probably a scene that had the least changes over time. And, and you know, being my first book, Claudine, there were lots of drafts. <laughs> <laughs> it was a three month, uh, three month, I wish. It was a three year project, the writing of this book. So, But when I think back, that's a really interesting question of yours. I would say that opening scene had the least number of edits in it. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to me. Even though your inspiration was taken from your own father's experience with dementia, as you said, this book was firmly from a female gaze. As you've just said, we had three uh, distinct female points of view and I'm guessing that was no accident on your part. So tell me why was it important for you to do that in this book?
1: Look, I suppose I've got to a point in my life, you know, where I've learned a lot of lessons myself. I've had some challenges in my life and I suppose writing Some of those challenges into the characters was probably quite a cathartic process for me, I guess. I don't know. But I didn't want it to also, I didn't want the book just to be about assisted dying. I mean, that's a very heavy topic. And whilst it's an important topic, I also wanted to have something in there that was uh, very broadly appealing and relevant to readers. And so I was able to weave in a lot of those topics and themes that are around. And look, it's not just a book for women, I should say that. Um, there's plenty of blokes out there who've read it and really loved it. But um, I wanted to bring those topics in for women to read and relate to.
0: Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant.
1: All through the novel, from the things that
0: Lily's daughter, Pauline, says about her mum, their interactions, and from Lily's own flashbacks, as you've Described earlier, we understand that Lily Harford is a formidable woman. She was someone who who liked to be in control of her own life, who made her own way in the world as a professional, as a businesswoman, and and as a mother. So her mental and physical decline was was very difficult for her to come to terms with, wasn't it?
1: Very difficult. There's a you know a line in the book where she says, and, and I'm not quoting word for word, and I don't have the book in front of me. But you know, if if my if I don't have the memories, you know what am I and she's terrified not only of losing a sense of herself, but also forgetting those she loves so not even recognizing her daughter, you know she doesn't want to get to that point. So I think that yes she's she you know she grew up, she was a teenager in the depression, she went through the Second World War and suffered terrible loss there. As you said, she, you know, raised a daughter on her own in a time in the 50s and 60s when there was a lot of stigma around that. And she had to support herself and Pauline by really moving herself into the man's world of of finance and and running a business there and coping with that. So for a woman who's done all of those things where her mind was the cornerstone of that and and her her capability and her intelligence and her drive, to have dementia threatened to take the essence of her, you know, everything uh, away from her is terribly confronting. And, of course, in the book, she, like my father, had witnessed her father suffer and die from dementia, and she's actually quite terrified of suffering that same demise. Mm. Indeed. And I think
0: the thing that most affected me in this story, Joanna, was the complete sense of helplessness and powerlessness felt not only by Lily herself but by those who had to watch her deterioration It was absolutely heartbreaking. And I can't imagine how hard it was for you to have to watch your father go through this, knowing how he felt when he asked you for help. And I know you've already said that it was cathartic in some way, but how were you able to channel that experience through Lily and her story? And did you find any parts of that difficult to do?
1: Of course, it's difficult because every time you're writing, and and Lily's chapters are written in first person, so really inside her head and thoughts. And of course, when you're writing that, my mind went a lot to my father and to his father, but I suppose for me, I was lucky in that, in that dad didn't get that bad. He could see the writing on the wall and he was asking us to help him end his life. But in fact, pneumonia took his life before that happened. So there's only a certain amount of trauma that I experienced with dad before we were kind of relieved of that. But yes, you know, but it's nice. I mean, it also brought back lots of positive things about my father's life, because like Lily, he considered he had a very lucky life. He had had a very rich life. And in that sense, when it came to the end, he had no regrets. He wanted to go out in a way befitting of the way he'd lived his life. So, you know, in control and being grateful. I've never thought about what
0: it must be like for caregivers like Donna in this book, what it must be like for, for Donna and the caregivers to be confronted with being asked to assist someone to die. And I wanted to ask you, did you have any notion of the stats on how often
1: healthcare practitioners or healthcare providers
0: might be confronted with such a request?
1: Look, I don't have stats. I, I, you hear things, people who work, particularly yeah, doctors and, and nurses, Um, are asked that and I think often there's a very fine line I mean you know my father for example he was taken to hospital with pneumonia and he was making it very clear don't treat me and but it could have gone either way you know the doctors in emergency there could have made the decision to give him antibiotics but they could see what was going on and they gave him morphine instead but I'm sure that what happened there is repeated (laughs) a lot. And and even if it's not an emergency situation like that, that yes, so many um, people are asked whether it's family members or medical professionals to help someone along. And unfortunately, the law doesn't, uh, when it comes to dementia, doesn't deal with that. So uh, yes, it's a, it's a tricky situation. But in answer to your question, I don't have actual data or statistics on it. <laughs> if you talk to the folk at Dying with Dignity, and I've talked to, you know, the ones that the Victorian branch um they've said to me you have no idea how many people call us and say my father my mother my sister whatever they've got dementia they're begging to go do you have any advice <laughs> so they're they're at the face of that they get those phone calls so it's not data but it's yeah anecdotal from the people evidence. who know mm-hmm. mm, indeed
0: Joanna why do you think we as a society are so divided on this issue
1: look, so many factors, I suppose, come into it. Um, Religious beliefs would obviously come into it. And I think until you're in that situation, whether it's you in that situation, or you are looking after someone or observing someone that you love in that situation, you cannot possibly know how you're going to respond and what your feelings are to that. So it's, it's such a personal thing. And I guess that's why we're divided, because we're all individual human beings with our own perspectives on life and on death.
0: I want to talk about Pauline for a moment. Such a wonderful, perceptively drawn character. A woman who, like her mother, was ambitious, motivated, highly competent, but weighed down by the responsibilities that she has as a professional woman, as a wife, a daughter, a mother, and a grandmother. Such incredible pressure she's under, and yet, she's not unlike many women I know, the sandwich generation we call ourselves, (laughs) caught between caring for ageing parents along with our own children and grandchildren, while still trying to carve out a professional life for ourselves. Why was Pauline's story important for you to explore in the context of this novel?
1: Well, as you say, Pauline's right there in the thick of it. She's Lily's only child. So all the pressure is falling on her to to do the right thing by her mother, to look after her when she's still trying to live at home, uh, when Lily's still living independently, and then to make that decision to move her mother into an aged care facility, it's all falling on her, not just in a practical sense, but in an emotional sense. And then the guilt (laughs) associated with that and the sadness. And the apple didn't fall far from that tree. Pauline is very like Lily. And to see her mother, who has always been her her idol, her bedrock, start to fall apart, it shakes the very foundations of Pauline. And so It was important to have Pauline there as a kind of representative, I suppose, of of people in in, in real life that are in that situation. But also, I mean, I'm, you know, around that same age as Pauline. And so those issues that she's facing, you know, the juggling act and getting older (laughs) and all of those things, motherhood, they're things that are very much part of of my life. And um, it was nice to write about those through a character and bring those to light for the reader as well. Yeah, fantastic.
0: If there was one thing that you'd like readers to take away from this book, what would it be?
1: Gosh, that's a, <laughs> what a big question. Obviously, as I said earlier, I think that the issue of end of, of life wishes is something that needs to be talked about. But I suppose I just wanted people to be able to relate to one of the characters in some way. That's what reading is about, isn't it? You get transported into another world, but you can also kind of picture yourself there and I hope look I hope the book is uplifting ultimately so even though it's got that heavy theme in it I hope that people also get joy from reading the book and this that it engenders discussion at the end of the day beautifully said Joanna
0: are you working on something else at the moment
1: I have started another book I'm probably about 50,000 words into my first draft so it's probably a bit early to be talking (laughs) about even what it's about just suffice to say that It is scaffolded on what I consider another kind of important social issue uh, to do with women. And uh, look, I think I'll just leave it at that, Claudine, because (laughs) it is too early. (laughs) But I'm loving it. And the thing is, my head has been so much in Lily Harper's last request. That I'm only now starting to think. Right, I've got some time now to to throw myself back into this first draft, which I'm really excited about. So, watch this space. Yeah,
0: indeed, well, I look forward to learning more about that in uh, in the months ahead. Okay, so Joanna, you might know that there are a lot of aspiring authors who listen to this podcast, and I wondered, given all your experiences to date, if you had any tips that you might offer for those looking to start writing or looking for a home for their books.
1: I think probably my tips would be uh, because can I just say I came into this with no creative writing professional background or anything like that so I really went in the deep end I think it helps particularly in your first book to write what you know and I think it's been clear from you know our discussion today that I very much drew on that and that really does help I would also say go to as many writing workshops and things as possible you know for example I did your um, wonderful course um, I did went to RISES festivals and conferences and picked up as much information as I could through those the workshops they run and they were just so helpful. And I suppose <laughs> the other one's probably a bit of a funny one, but it is uh, don't make the mistake I made of getting friends and family to review your drafts <laughs> because they're always going to say <laughs> they're always going to say nice things and you come away thinking, well, I don't believe you anyway. <laughs> so I would say get a professional. Uh, to edit for you and make the most of their experience because that's probably going to help you a lot more than having platitudes from <laughs> people who love you.
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Joanna, if listeners wanted to learn more about you and your book or, and or books, as the case may be in the future, where can they do that?
1: Well, it's that's a steep learning curve for me too. I'm on social <laughs> media. So I have a website, uh, Joanna Buckley Author, I'm on Instagram uh, with the same name, Joanna Buckley, author, and also on Facebook. That is brilliant. Joanna, it was such
0: an honour and a privilege to read this brave and moving book. I loved it and I wish you every success with it. Thank you so very much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today.
1: Thank you, Claudine. It's been a pleasure. That's a wrap,
0: folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudinetinellis.com via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.